0: everyone welcome to the governance update for the 11th of june 2021 this is the one with steve cooper oh hang on they're all with steve cooper hi steve hello chris thanks for that welcome
1: how are you uh look i'm well in fact for some news that um that hit the streets this week so um for anyone that but wants you, to be
0: in the room where it happened you realize this is the governance update it's not the showbiz report don't is, you is this is a story of
1: governance writ large for any students of governance so get along to hamilton when it uh, gets to melbourne i would suggest
0: i feel like we need to explain explain the visuals because we've got a growing number of people who who prefer who prefer the podcast steve i think they're they're making the choice to not look at us but but perhaps listen to us in the, the off chance that we might say something about you. Actually, and you're right, so, one of
1: our regular critics is a, is a definite podcaster, so I should explain to her that I just popped up the, um, the Hamilton logo on my background, so thanks for that
0: reminder, Chris. And that regular listener, if it's the one I think, uh, was particularly uh, pleased with last week's governance update and our top 10. Uh, we've had some good reaction to that. I want to come back to that at the end when we do our mailbag. But, I think uh, that'd be a nice uh, Did you get much response nice. to it?
1: Indeed. Uh, I, did you hear Yeah, much? I've got some, yeah, some positive commentary, Chris, um, which was surprisingly uncritical. So we might have to do something like that again.
0: Excellent. There you go. For those who missed it, we did the top 10 factors for success when you have a new CEO. And we have more CEO news Steve, in fact, we've got really big news to talk about. So people may be aware that the CEO at Warrnambool City Council, Peter Schneider, last year was dismissed by the council and uh, he then lodged a Supreme Court case. The decision has come down uh, today, in fact, as we record this uh, in his favour. And the, the judge has ordered his reinstatement and the awarding of costs against the council and this is pretty huge on a number of levels when you think about the implications of this Steve I know it's just hot off the press. What's your early take on this. Um- and look, Chris, our usual disclaimer, we're not
1: lawyers, but the, um, for anyone that's interested, the decision is actually available on the Supreme Court of Victoria website. I want to talk about that website in a minute. Uh, and I've had a quick look. Um, a couple of bits of news. One is to say that Tony Rownitch, uh, managing partner of Hunt & Hunt, is expected to appear on the newsroom next week. And I know Hunt & Hunt are planning on putting out an advisory on, on this, so always a good idea to wait and see what the lawyers say. But my quick take would be there's a couple of really key things. Um, one relates to the fact that what's in the contract around termination appears to also require that there will be some natural justice and procedural fairness um, in the way that the contract is exercised. And probably a bit a bigger question... or issue on that topic Chris is that councils like any statutory body when exercising powers it's not unlimited just because the act says that you can your ability to act might be fettered in some way
0: and being cautious is not a bad thing so for those who didn't understand a word of what Steve just said um there's a clause in most if not all CEO contracts in Victoria at least that gives the council the, uh, the, op- the option of, of dismissing a CEO um, without giving a reason, effectively. Uh, Mr Schneider challenged uh, that on the basis of natural justice, that he'd not had the opportunity to hear what their concerns were and respond to those concerns. So what exercises my mind, Steve, is the implications for all of those contracts that have that clause in it that are in existence now, for council CEOs in Victoria?
1: I'll be interested in what Tony's comments are, Chris. I would have thought um, not much, that the contract itself is sound, but it goes to how the council, typically through its um, CEO Employment uh, Matters Committee, ensures that those provisions of natural justice and procedural fairness apply, which is really no great difference to how a council, enforces or acts in regard to various sections of
0: legislation for which a council's responsible. Oh, you're a voice of reason. That's That's good. And well, good sense, Chris, I yeah. hope. As you said, Tony Rowanich is uh, putting his mind to this uh, Supreme Court decision today, and we might have some more observations and implications to talk about with Catherine in the newsroom uh, next week. But thanks for that scene setter, Steve. Um, the upshot of all of that is my mail is that Mr. Snyder's returning to work the week after next at Warnable, and uh, that's going to be interesting. Anyway, the Ombudsman's back in the news this week, Steve, with a new report into a procurement issue at the city of Melton. This is pretty serious. Uh, The Ombudsman has found that um, an officer has, um, I guess, taken advantage of, of what she calls lax oversight, to attain $1.6 million in council work for uh, a company that that officer, in fact, uh, ran, or it was, it was his company. Have I got that right?
1: I think that's pretty right, Chris, and it's been well publicised. Um, might not have got to the end, so how about I talk about something related, and that is some reports in the media that Michael Gove, uh, English or UK... Minister might have been involved in the award of a contract to former um, colleagues. And Mm. the court in that matter in England found that that was absolutely inappropriate that a contract would be awarded to former colleagues. We'll talk in a minute about conflict of interest and the niceties. And there's often an ethical dimension about conflict of interest. But I think the point out of the Gove matter, because I don't particularly want to talk about Melton, is that awarding of a contract that favours oneself or one's friend is just wrong. It's not an ethical dimension. It's just not the right yeah. thing to do. Yeah. And the Ombudsman's reported on that um, in a related way, according to Melton. Have I skirted around that? Well, You I have-, have skirted around it.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: it's been topical, Chris, because IBAC ran a session uh, during the week around conflicts of interest Um Uh, Adam Fennessy, Kate Radigan from Education Department, Julie Reid, there'll be other speakers I've I've omitted, David Wolfe chaired the matter, but but talking around some of that nicety, particularly uh, parts that I paid real attention to around that notion of a perception of conflict of interest, which seems to be a recurring theme for councillors and officers, Chris, and really deserves some attention.
0: I really wanted to attend that session. Unfortunately, I had a clash of uh, commitments, so I'm not sure I should check out whether there's a recording available. Uh,
1: There wasn't when I looked on Thursday afternoon, Chris, but I noted that their previous session was up on the IBAC website. So um, I think think a, a check in a week or two and you may well find it.
0: So um, Steve didn't want to say too much about the Ombudsman's report. It is public. Of course, it's been released this week. Um, I, I just want to touch on the recommendations. So the Ombudsman's recommended that the council refer the conduct of this uh, this person to uh, Victoria Police and to ASIC. So um, she's suggesting it is of a certain threshold that it should be looked at seriously by those uh, entities um, and has made some recommendations about the risk uh, conflict of interest processes, transparency of labour hire arrangements back to the council. And it's worth noting that the council has accepted those recommendations.
1: Chris, a few things pop out of that in terms of councils as contract managers. And um, I think the ombudsman's touched on it in her report that um, one real key risk is where the expertise lies with the contractor. And so the inability of the organisation to really effectively manage the contract because no one really is across the content. And I mean, that's not unreasonable and not a criticism of Melton because at times you get contractors in because Mm. you don't have the expertise in-house. So that really needs to be um, paid attention to. I mean, and the other one is probably a recurring theme of mine around it's one of the elements of um, outsourcing is that, you know that contract management um, element really needs to be appropriately resourced as a general
0: rule okay we might leave that one there there's a lot of news around this week i want to get on to virtual meetings because the sector's being asked for its view on uh, if and how virtual meetings might remain a permanent part of the landscape going forward
1: yeah there's a discussion paper that was released as part of a bulletin from local government, Victoria, Chris. And as I recall, there are three options that councils are asked to respond to uh, around attendance by councillors virtually at meetings. And I recall that option one was making it an as-of-right entitlement. Option two, uh, making it an entitlement that meetings be attended virtually uh, as long as that is consistent with the council's um, governance rules in regard to meetings and option three no you need to attend the meeting physically so and
0: they've rightly they've rightly uh, included some narrative around the gender equality piece and making an inclusiveness I guess and and making it more uh, accessible for people to participate in the process as councillors regardless of their other uh, responsibilities
1: yeah, a really good point and an emerging theme on all of these quiz that and I think the gender equality element also reminds us that those um, uh, either inclusiveness or considering barriers to participation um, by a range of diverse groups is is an element of our responses on all
0: of these matters. So we've touched on a bit of procurement stuff in relation to the Ombudsman's report today and, uh, and and some transparency. You've picked up on a little story, Tweed Shire Council this week, Steve. A lot of councils deal with this issue of how far to go in waiting local suppliers and businesses. And then the next part of that is, well, how do we define local? You know, is it just our municipality? Is it within a certain... Um, Uh, distance uh, over the border, et cetera, et cetera. What are they doing in Tweed about this issue?
1: Chris, the details are a bit patchy, but the Tweed Shire Council obviously has a priority for um, local procurement, if you like, and has resolved to do regular reporting of goods and services procured locally. Um, This is an interesting issue for a range of reasons that... um, uh councillors i know i know in the rural areas often um in in procurement there is a waiting for local purchase but there's a bit of uncertainty in terms of what does constitute local so i'd be looking for a policy um issue there probably a bigger question too though is where does that sit in relation to obligations you know under national competition um and that was really brought to light for us we uh catherine and i met Uh, This week with the Office of the Commissioner for Local Jobs First, which is a state government agency tasked with particularly on projects of over a million dollars in rural or over three million dollars in the metro, ensuring that um, councils and public agencies actually have a plan that is auditable in regard to local product. And um, the thing that struck me about all of this, Chris, is that councils have got to uh, do their procurement plans uh, or procurement policy uh, by year end, so it's a good time for the council to think about those issues that might not necessarily be front of mind, such as this.
0: Steve, I'm not sure if you've picked up. It came to my attention just very recently that a group of councils in the north of Melbourne, about six or seven of them, have come together and developed a uh, a, a policy that is uh, common to them all, with uh, schedules to pick up for some some local differences, etc. But I thought it was a really good uh, collaborative effort, taking that local uh, lens, I guess, a little bit broader. I think so, Chris. I
1: mean, one of the issues the Council's in regard to economic development is that often supply chains, the end-to-end of supply chains is often outside a particular municipality, but maybe particularly where there are supply chains within a region that Council's acting... Um, as a group, can really tap into that and achieve an
0: economic, um, as well as a value for money end. All right. Well, there's a topic I wasn't aware we were going to be getting into today. Here's another one. Um you're, you've alerted me to the fact that Vargo is going to audit fraud control in relation to local government grants very shortly.
1: Yeah, we got to. Um, I got to meet with um, a team from Vargo earlier in the week, Chris, and the issue. Um, that's exercising the mind of Vargo is that um, there are two elements to this one is the element of government grants received by a council and acquitted the other one being the role of the council in dispensing for example community grants um, to local agencies now there is a bunch of work around on both in terms of what is good practice but again uh, like some of the issues that we talked about before, sort of that distinction between good practice and value for money between, you know, and what um, is actually being done um, might come out during the during the audit. I had a sense that Vargo are particularly interested in the community grants element. And I know we had a piece of work on the VLGA website that goes back to 2002 as a good practice guide. It still stacks up pretty well. But the reality is we haven't seen um, a lot of thinking on that community grant space and some of the issues, for example, with sports rorts at a federal level tell us that there are some really important transparency and value for money uh, elements that fall out of this topic.
0: And I see that they're proposing a mix of metro and rural councils for that, which is uh, pretty much the usual practice. So we'll uh, wait to see what comes from it.
1: Yeah. So the councils that have been targeted for that particular audit know who they are.
0: All right, uh, Steve, before we wrap up, a quick check of the mailbag. Um, We do invite your comments and your feedback. And we were particularly looking for your thoughts on whether we missed anything in the top 10 of uh, factors for success when you've got a new CEO. I was surprised by that feedback, Chris. I was actually hoping for some kind of particular
1: element um, that perhaps we've missed. But... um, Our our, um, commentator took a more global view, perhaps.
0: Yes. So if you check out the YouTube comments, we did have someone suggest that uh, using a fanfare to introduce the uh, topic was somehow putting public servants on a pedestal. you know, that's uh, his view. <laughs> He's entitled to it. But you're right. I was looking for more about, well, you missed this or you didn't get that. But, uh, you know, maybe we maybe we hit the mark. <laughs>
1: and it's an interesting one, Chris. I would just say I think that as a society, it's not a bad thing to be honouring the role of people who give service to the public um, and that we should celebrate public service in that context. But people in the public service that I know and probably that you know, also understand that there's uh, more than a bit of humility that goes with that responsibility.
0: Very, very well said. All right, Steve, I think that's all the news for this week. Um, And uh, other than the fact that Hamilton's coming to Melbourne, uh, we hope it's been very useful uh, for you. Uh, Thanks, Steve. Thank you, Chris. Have (laughs) a great weekend. (laughs) When is it coming, Steve? What's it, How long have I got I'll, to prepare for this?
1: I think about a year, Chris. There's no great rush.
0: Okay. okay you right. can watch the Disney um, version in the meantime. I might save it and watch it just before so it's fresh. You do that. <laughs> Thanks, Steve. Steve Cooper Keep is through. the Chief of Staff of the VLGA with us for the Governance Update, as he is each and every week here on VLGA Connect. Do have a great long weekend, and we'll see you for more VLGA Connect very soon. <laughs>